0: You remain standing in honor of God's Word. Joshua chapter number 10. I'm going to begin in verse 17. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal. He and all the people of war with him. And the mighty men of valor, and the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them should stand before you. Then Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth-Horan, and struck them down as far as Azekah and And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Haran that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah and they died. And there were more who died from the hailstones than from the children of Israel that the children of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel and he said in the sight of Israel... Sun stands still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ahajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven it did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like it before or after that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Today we are returning to our series Great Prayers and I want to minister to you from the subject Big God Big Prayers. Doesn't that just make sense, right? Not Big God puny prayers. Not Big God little prayers. Not not Big God, you know, you know safe prayers, but Big God big prayers. Let's pray. Father in the name of Jesus, thank you for ministering to every heart like only you can. We give you all the praise and honor in Jesus name and everybody said You may be seated. I don't know if you've ever noticed this about your prayer life, but I've noticed it about mine that that we often pray according to what we think is humanly possible and occasionally throw in a prayer that we kind of hope but don't necessarily believe is really possible, that God can really answer. In other words, we tend to put our human limitations on God's limitless power. And many times in prayer, we stop short of praying and believing God to do what seems impossible to us. We pray prayers like, God will meet my needs, Instead of God bless me with so much that I can do whatever you ask me to do and be a generous, uh, giver to your kingdom. God make my marriage better instead of God make me so madly in love with my spouse that, 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 that it's like I, I wouldn't rather have nobody else in my life. God, instead of God make this bearable, how about God break the power of this thing over me completely? In other words, our prayers are often primitive and puny and, and in fact pathetic when measured against the matchless, miracle-working power of our mighty God. And when we read Scripture, I don't know if you read Scripture like this, but, but I certainly come away with this understanding of Scripture, there is countless invitations by God over and over again for us to ask Him to do big things. It's almost as if God is, in air quotes here, begging us to ask him to do big things. Beckoning us would be a better word, but for, for, for effect, I say begging us. Psalm chapter two, verse number eight, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession." Now, I don't know how you read that scripture, but that seems to be God beckoning us to ask us to do things that are not just ordinary, but things that are impossible. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. What doors do you need God to open in your life? Are you asking God to open not just the doors that you think are possible for you to walk through, but the doors that you feel are impossible for you to walk through? John chapter 14, verse 13. And I will do whatever... You ask in my name. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Verse 14. You may ask for anything in my name, and I'll do it for you. And then Jeremiah 33, verse 3. Call on to me, and I will answer you and show you great things and difficult which you do not know. What is God doing? God is saying, listen, it's time for you to begin to ask me to not just do puny things and primitive things and things that are are within your understanding and your human limitations. Limitations, but begin to ask me to do things that are well beyond what you think are possible. Because I'm God, don't you understand who I am? Don't you understand what I can do? And if you don't yet come away with that understanding, listen once again to Ephesians chapter uh, three, verse twenty. And I'm reading from the Amplified. It says, "Now unto him that is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly more than all we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond." our greatest prayers, hopes and dreams according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. God is saying, listen, don't be scared to ask me to do what is more than you think is humanly possible because even your biggest requests don't even scratch the surface of my infinite power. It's almost as if God is saying, uh, "Do you understand who I am? That is inviting you to ask me to intervene in your circumstances." I'm not sure we, we really do. I'm not sure that we understand that God exerted no effort, zero effort, when God created the earth and the universe and the galaxies. Zero effort. All God did was say, "Let it be, light be and." Darkness, flee and 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 ground, be and land, be and waters, be and birds, be and animals, be and, and 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 universes, be and planets, be and without exerting any energy, just simply by speaking, God created everything that you and I see. And the only time He exerted any energy, think about this: when I say no energy, all God did was speak. And the only time He exerted any energy is when He reached into the ground and formed the shell of man with the, the dirt of uh, of the of the earth that he created. And that was the only time he exerted any energy. And the reason why he did that is not because he couldn't speak it into existence, but because when it came to humanity, God wanted us to understand that we are in his hands. And when it comes to us, he wanted us to understand that he'll get his hands dirty and that he is involved. But then after God built the shell of a man, do you know what God did? God simply breathed into man. Now think about your breath and my breath. When you and I inhale, we take in oxygen, that oxygen goes into our lungs and then is passed into our blood and it is the oxygen that you and I need to breathe and at the same time what is happening is carbon dioxide is being removed from our lungs and removed from our blood and being pushed out of our system. What's amazing about that is God created all that to work. That's what happens when we breathe in and when we breathe out but when God breathed into man man became a living being. In other words when God breathed in the breath of God put a heart on the inside of man. The breath of God put a brain on the inside of man. The breath of God put uh, arteries on the inside of man. The breath of God made lungs on... This is what the breath of God did. The greatest thing I've ever done with my breath is to create a balloon. I blew it up and created something that had shape. God made man living by his breath. Do we understand that this is the one who is inviting us to ask him to intervene in our situations? Do we understand the capability of of God Almighty when we pray, that we would pray prayers that are not puny and insignificant, but prayers that would actually honor him and honor his power and his might and his majesty. And Jesus, just in case we missed it, he said, I want you to know anything that is impossible with man is possible with God. God wants us to have audacious faith. What is audacious faith? It is faith that is bold and daring and fearless and asking God to do the impossible. And the word impossible literally means that which is not ordinary. And so audacious faith is faith that dares God to do what we think is beyond ordinary, beyond what we think is humanly... Capable, And so we come to God at these pivotal moments in times, and like as a church right now, we are asking God to do something audacious. God, give us $5.2 million so that we can expand your church and be prepared for you to do the greater things that you want to do. God, give us a thriving Christian school in a liberal state. Do you understand what kind of audacious prayer that is? That we would have something that is a beacon of light in a place, in a culture that that is going wheels off in a place that is not for all of these things. Do we understand the kind of audacious prayer it is to expect God to send thousands more in a place that they call the graveyard for preachers? It is audacious, and God is not disappointed by that. God is pleased when we ask him for big things. A matter of fact, the Bible tells us that without faith... It is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Enter Joshua. Joshua prays for God to make the sun stand still. Now, if that doesn't qualify as audacious, I don't know what does. I mean, think about this. How big of a request is that? Some would even say that borderlines on arrogance that you would dare to think that God would make the sun stand still for you. God was not disappointed. I could see God in heaven going like this, knowing what Joshua was about to ask because God knows what we ask even before we're going to ask it. Knowing that this is about to come from Joshua's lips, I believe God went like this to the angels. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Go ahead, dare me. Go ahead, dare me. Go ahead, I double-dog dare you. I double-dog dare you to ask me to cause the sun to stand still for you. This is what Joshua asked God to do. And this was no slouch leader. This was Joshua. This was somebody who took over from Moses. Moses was a great leader. It's considered by the Jewish people to be the greatest leader they ever had. But I contend that Joshua was even more powerful in his leadership than Moses. Because when the children of Israel got stuck in the wilderness and were wandering there and couldn't get to the promised land under Moses' leadership, it was Joshua that took him in. And when Joshua took them into the promised land, Joshua had to fight some battles in order for them to receive what God had promised, just like it is in our life. Just because God promised uh, it to us doesn't mean that it'll be exempt from battles, but God will give us the strength to win every battle that is in the path on our way to the promises that he has for us. And so Joshua is fighting these battles, and as we come to chapter number 10, we discover that five opposing Amorite armies are planning to attack Joshua. And so Joshua decides he is gonna strike first. Joshua is not gonna sit back and wait to be stricken. Joshua is going to get out in front and strike first. I think there's a lesson in that by the way. I think we need to be offensive in our faith. So many times the reason why we don't walk in victory is because we are defensive in our faith. We are waiting for something to happen to us in order to press into God rather than pressing into God before anything happens to us. So we fight from the advantage of victory all of the time. Instead of push back on our heels, we are ascending and moving forward. And Joshua determines I'm not waiting for them to attack. I'm going to march all night, 25 miles, and I'm going to strike first. And somewhere in that march, God speaks to Joshua. Joshua chapter 10, verse number 8. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid, for I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. And this tells me two things. Number one, it tells me that it's okay to be afraid. But God said, do not be afraid. Why would God say that unless Joshua was afraid? Unless there would be opportunity to fear. I want you to know on your journey toward the promised land, on your journey toward the big things that God has for you, it will be human for you to be afraid. Matter of fact, there are times in everyone's spiritual existence where God will ask you to do something, and you will feel incapable and incompetent of doing that great thing. That is another way of saying you will be stricken by fear, but faith is not the absence of fear. It is the ability to step out even when you're afraid and trust God despite the fear and deal fear a death blow by stepping out and seeing what God can do. But the second thing that this tells me is that God speaks of our current battles and past tense. I have given them into your hand. In other words, God has already made a way for every battle that we are going to go through. And so God sees it from a place of victory and not a place of defeat. And so Joshua is marching. And somewhere in that fight and in their march, God intervenes. Verse number 11 of chapter 10, as they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Haran to Azekai, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them and more of them died from the hell then were killed by the swords of the Israelites and I paused there for a moment and I said a moment of God's favor can do more than all of our own trying and effort they're fighting they're fighting they're fighting and God intervenes and fights for them and God does in a minute what they couldn't do in their lifetime. Don't you want that to be your testimony? God is fighting for you. God is fighting. I want people to look at faith church and say, I don't know how. I don't know. God must be fighting for them. Should have been, but I don't know how. Should have closed down during COVID, but I don't know how. They're not closing down. They're getting bigger. They're getting stronger. They're building more. Why? God is fighting for them. Don't we want that to be our testimony that God is with us and God is on our side? And so Joshua He's chasing them and God is fighting for them. But suddenly in the middle of this conquest, the sun begins to set and the sun begins to go down. And Joshua has a choice. He has a choice to be satisfied with how much of the promise he has received and settle for a less than complete victory or hold God to his promise and say, God, you said not one of them. God, you didn't say most of them. You said not one of them will be able to stand before me. So Joshua has this choice to make. Does he settle for a halfway victory like most of us do? Most of us get excited if God shows up a little bit. Most of us are praying for God to do big things We're talking a little bit about special offerings, so I'll use this as an example. God, God, bless my finances to the point where I can give generously, and all of a sudden, God blesses you to where your own individual needs are met, and you're not struggling, and you're like, yes, I'm so excited about that. Why would you settle for just that? Why not believe God for the whole thing? Joshua said, God, you said not one. And some of them are about to get away. God, because the sun is about to set. And suddenly, what does Joshua do? Joshua, instead of settling for a halfway victory, Joshua prays an extraordinary 13-word prayer. Notice it with me. Verse number 12. On the day that the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, Stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ahajan. Thirteen words that invites God to do the impossible. You talk about audacious. Joshua had the audacity to ask God to make the sun stop and freeze time on behalf of his people. That is a big ask. Now most of us when we read this are probably thinking, uh, Come on, really? Seriously? Um, did that really happen? God would actually stop I mean, is there some other reasonable explanation? Is there something scientific that really could explain how that particular thing happened? Do you think the Bible is just allegorical when it says that God made the sun stand still for Joshua? Maybe we should be asking a different question than looking for all of the loopholes to why maybe it didn't happen. Maybe the question we should be asking ourselves is does God want me to ask him to do the impossible in my life? Maybe the point of the text is not to try to figure out the miracle and understand how God did it. But ma- matter of fact, ma- maybe the point of the text is to prod us and push us into that place where we begin to ask God for bigger and better things than we've ever asked him before. Maybe God is trying to tell us that if I can heed the request of an individual to cause the sun to stand still, your puny little prayer is no problem for me. Maybe that is what God is prompting us to do. And as we look into this text, we might wonder, well, do I qualify for God to do these great and mighty things? I want to give you a couple of keys to who qualifies for God to do impossible things through. And four. Four, yes, but through, more importantly. And I want to give you a few things. First, the first thing that qualifies you, and this is a little unorthodox, but it's so true. The first thing that qualifies you for God to do impossible and big things through is those who have made a mistake and need God to bail you out. You didn't expect that, did you? Those that qualify for God to do big things are those that have made a mistake and you need God to bail you out. One of the things I really find encouraging is why Joshua finds himself marching from Gilgal to Gibeon in order to fight the Amorites. And the answer is because Joshua made a mistake. He made an unwise alliance with the Gibeonites. Who were the Gibeonites? Well, they were a group of people that that lived just 25 miles from where Israel was inhabiting. And God told Joshua, Joshua to wipe out all the inhabitants that were close, but then he told uh, Joshua to make peace treaties with all of the people that were from far away. And so because the Gibeonites knew that the hand of God was on the Israelites, they came from, far, they came from 25 miles away, which was relatively close, and they pretended that they were from really far away. And the way they pretended is they put on ripped clothes and worn out shoes and they brought these uh, things, these supplies that were mildewy and moldy and they came to Joshua and they said, we have traveled a long way. Because we know that God is fighting for you. Look at our clothes and here taste our food. and, 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 And all of a sudden Joshua and all of the leaders, they thought, okay, these people are coming from far away. So according to the word of the Lord, we need to make a peace treaty with them. But instead they were from really close by. Now look at what it says, verse number 6 of Joshua chapter 10, the Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal, do not abandon your servants, come up to us quickly and save us, help us, because the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. In other words, Joshua got into the battle with the Gibeonites because the Gibeonites uh, uh, uh or the Amorites because the Amorites attacked the Gibeonites, and he had a peace treaty with the Gibeonites that he would be their partner and he would protect them. You say, Now, why was this a mistake? Joshua chapter nine, verse number fourteen says, The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by an oath. And so here is Joshua. He's got a word from the Lord. The word from the Lord is anybody that's living close to you, wipe them out. Anybody that's far away, make a peace treaty with them. The Gibeonites knew they were about to get wiped out and so they tricked Joshua into thinking they were from far away and they came to Joshua and instead of praying first... Joshua just used common sense. Can I talk to anybody who's forgot to pray? Can I talk to anybody who has just used common sense and forgot to inquire of the Lord and you found yourself in a problem in a situation that you didn't know you were getting into, that you didn't try to get into, that you thought you were doing the right thing on but you forgot to pray you forgot to invite God you forgot to ask God for his wisdom you forgot to say God is this something that you want me to do and because you did it without God you wound up in a situation where you needed some help you didn't know you were going to need Let me make it personal. God, I racked up all this debt. And, And now I really want to get my finances in order. God, can you help? God, I married him. Don't look at him right now. Look straight ahead, straight ahead. That would be really bad if you look at him right now. God, I married him. I married him. I married him. And God, and this marriage isn't what it's supposed to. Now I need you to intervene in this situation right now and fix this situation. Has anybody ever got into a situation and you needed God to bail you out? That's what Joshua's situation was. And that is the same Joshua that God made the son stand still for. So you qualify if you made a mistake and you need God to bail you out. Second thing that qualifies you to see God do big things, big God big prayers, those who dare to pray without safety nets. Notice verse number um uh 12 of chapter number 10. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord, in the presence of Israel, in the presence of Israel. In the presence of Israel. Sun stand still over Gibeon. And you moon over the valley of Ahajalon. If I was Joshua, here's how I would have prayed that prayer. God, can you make the sun stand still? God, can you make the moon not move? Loud enough that if it happened, I would have been, did you see what God did? Did you see God's answer to prayer? But low enough that if it never happened, nobody would know otherwise. Because quite frankly, Joshua did this in the presence of all of Israel. If it didn't happen, we're not reading the book of Joshua. We're reading the book of one of Joshua's nephews who took over because Joshua got carted off in a funny truck because he was howling at the moon one night somewhere. This is Joshua prayed. This Could you imagine God? Can you make the sun stand still in the presence of everybody? Either you are crazy or you believe God is that big. We pray these simple safety net prayers all the time. And here's how we do it. We put this one little phrase on the end of a lot of prayers. God, would you heal my body if it be your will? God, would you provide for me abundantly if it be your will? God, will you fix my marriage if it be your will? It's almost as if we're saying, you know what, just in case God doesn't, we've given God an out in the situation. And it's almost as if we think God is going, thank you very much for that escape clause because that one was way above my pay grade. I don't know if I could have intervened in that situation. And just so I look good in front of everybody else, thank you for tagging your prayer with an if it be your will. When I have clearly told you in my word what my will is, and I'm not looking for people to give me an escape clause. I'm looking for people to step out and believe me me for big things and if you look in the scripture you see that the people who qualify for God doing these amazing things are people who are willing to to not pray with safety nets, there's no backup plan here, there's nothing else that we can possibly do, we are stepping out in faith, we are believing God that this is going to happen and the reason why Joshua was able to pray with such a safety net is because Joshua had the word of the Lord, none shall be able to withstand you See, the reason and the way that you can go to God with absolute confidence that God will do what he promised is if you have a promise from God. How do I know what the will of God is, Pastor? You get into the word of God. The word of God is the will of God. And the scripture tells us that if we pray anything according to his word, his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know we have the petitions that we asked of him. And so your part is to find a promise. And stand on that promise. And when you pray without safety nets, God does amazing things in your life. The third thing that qualifies you for God to do big things, answer big prayers, because He's a big God, is those whose heart is fully devoted to Him. Do you know what I especially like about this sun stand still miracle? Is that Joshua didn't even pray the right prayer. Selah. See so what do you mean, Pastor? Sun stands still, not really the right pr- prayer. We know that the sun is always still, sun never moves, sun stays in the same place all the time. And yet, Joshua goes to God, He says, God, like, oh, could you make the sun stand still? And if I was God, I'd be like, duh, it's already standing still. <laughs> he meant to pray, God, stop the earth from rotating. Because the earth's rotation is what causes us to have light and darkness. The sun is in the same place all the time. But Joshua's heart was fully committed to God. And so the technicality of his prayer was not what God was listening to. See, can I tell you something? That if your heart is fully devoted to God, sometimes if you're asking God to make the sun stand still, God understands what you mean. That what you really mean is God stopped the earth from rotating for just this minute. How many of you are grateful that God can hear your heart when your heart is fully devoted to Him? Have you ever had that kind of conversation with somebody and they go off on a tangent they get all upset and that's not what you meant? But you haven't had a chance to qualify yet because they just heard the words come out of your mouth and you're like, no, 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 that's not what I really meant. No, 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 no. Slow down. But by the time they're done saying all these things, they've ripped you up one side and down the other and everything like that. And that's not what you meant. Thank God, God knows our heart. God hears what's on our heart, and look what the Bible says. Second Chronicles chapter sixteen verse nine says, "For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him." Can I can I throw this in? And yes, there, I'm throwing this in because we're having a special offering. Okay, so don't, don't think I'm I'm throwing a cheap shot for no reason. It's because we're having a special offering. Whose heart is fully devoted to him. Where your treasure is, there will you what? Uh-oh. Whose heart is fully devoted to him. How do I know if my heart is fully devoted to him? The fourth thing that qualifies you, for God to do big things because he's a big God. Answer big, big prayers, big God is those who are willing to practice ordinary obedience. We would all agree that the Bible is full of extraordinary miracles, don't we? Peter walks on water. Jesus feeds 5,000 with with a few loaves, five little loaves and, and, and two fish. Jesus heals a paralytic man whose friends bring him, carry him to Jesus. Jesus turns water into wine. God parts the Red Sea. God speaks to Moses from a burning bush. These are all extraordinary miracles. But what if Peter never obeyed the instruction of Jesus when he said, "Lord, if it's you, bid me to come"? And Jesus said, "Come." What if what if Peter never stepped out of the boat and began to walk? You say, "But yeah, Pastor." But he walked on water. But God didn't ask him to walk on water. All Jesus said is, "Take a step." Anybody can take a step. Right now, I can take a step. I might fall down if I take a step, but I can certainly take a step. My job is to do what I can do, and that's to take a step. God's job is to make me walk on water. He didn't ask Peter to walk on water. He just asked him to take a step. How about the little boy? What if the little boy never gave Jesus his lunch? What if he never gave him his five barley loaves and two small fish? What if anybody could give Jesus their lunch By the way, again, because the special offering is coming, I just want to be real clear. I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying here, so I want to be real clear. I don't have anything extra to give to God. Don't buy Starbucks five days a week for the next two years. Uh Uh-oh, look at that. I just came right up into your living room there. I slid up and into your DM right there, and you didn't like it. Five, six dollars for a cup of coffee. I got nothing to give to God, but I got five, six dollars every single day to buy a cup of coffee. You got something to give to God. Everybody has something to give to God. It matters that God is a priority in our lives. What if he never gave him his little lunch? What if the paralyzed man's friends never carried the man? They couldn't heal the man, but they could carry the man. What if the people at the wedding party never filled the water pots with water? They couldn't make wine out of nothing, but they could fill the water pots. What if Moses never lifted up his staff and pointed it toward the Red Sea? He couldn't part the Red Sea, but he was able to point his staff. What if Moses never went over to the burning bush to see what was going on? What if nobody ever obeyed these ordinary acts of obedience. Extraordinary moves of God begin with ordinary acts of obedience. Some of you are just an ordinary act of obedience away from God doing something big for you and through you. Truth is, these ordinary acts of obedience though are often inconvenient. And this is where the rubber meets the road, doesn't it? Can we come down to where we live for just a moment? But, Pastor, I love my Starbucks coffee by the way i 'm not telling you don 't drink Starbucks, although some bucks is cheaper and just as good but <laughs> but pastor like I actually crave it. I understand, but I also understand why most people never see God do extraordinary things through them is because when the rubber meets the road it 's really not. We can't do what God is asking us to do. It's that we don't want to be inconvenienced to do what God is asking us to do. And every extraordinary act in Scripture begins with an ordinary, inconvenient, act in our lives. What is God telling us? God is telling us when we strip it all down, every single person here could see God do something extraordinary for them and through them. It's just a matter of how much we are willing to obey God, how much we are willing to listen to God. And once we determine in our heart, here I am, God send me. Here I am, God use me. God, my life belongs to you in every way. God, you are not an intruder in my life, but you are in." charge of my life. God, I am not the one who calls the final shots in my life, but you are truly the Lord and the King of my life. My life is here for you to use however you want to use it. Everything I am, everything I hope to be, everything that I possess, Lord, it all belongs to you. And when we finally decide, Lord, any inconvenience that you ask of me, Lord, I am willing to do for your glory and for your honor, all of a sudden we begin to see God do big things and we begin to pray big prayers here's what God is saying it's time to pop the cork it's time to take the lid off of God. It's time to start asking God to not do puny things but big things. It's start It's time to start daring to ask to take the human limitations off of God to stop letting reason inhabit us or, or, or inhibit us from asking God for big things. It's time to boldly and audaciously ask. It's time to drop the safety nets. It's time to ask God to do the things that indicate that we understand who He is is, it's time to start living like our Father is God, it's time to start understanding that He parts red seas, that He puts roads in oceans, that He puts rivers in a desert, that He walks in the fiery furnace, that He stops the mouth of lions, that God can do anything and stop asking God for the small and start asking God for the big audacious things so that God can be glorified in our lives it's time to ask God for big things and the requirement is just doing ordinary things can I tell you what though if you ever do something extraordinary for God ordinary acts of obedience create extraordinary miracles what do extraordinary acts of obedience do think of the magnitude of all of these things. Think in your Bible of the greats. It was more than just ordinary acts of obedience. Elijah burned his plow. He left his entire life to follow Jesus. Extraordinary active obedience. Moses built a boat there had never been rain. Extraordinary act of obedience. Abraham offered his only son, Isaac. Extraordinary act of obedience. The widow woman from Zarephath gave all she had. Extraordinary act of obedience. Ordinary acts of obedience. Produce extraordinary miracles. What do extraordinary acts of obedience do? They produce mind-blowing miracles. Joshua marched all night, 25 miles on foot to get to where God wanted him to be. Some of us can't drive 10 to get to church on time. Uh Uh-oh. Sorry, I slid up into your DM again right there. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. That's why God did amazing things. And I believe that God has brought us together for such a time as this to do extraordinary things for his glory and for his honor. Can you say amen? Would you stand to your feet with me? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you are a good God. Thank you, Lord, that you are beckoning us you are calling us individually and as a church to come up higher to invite you to do even greater things and Father we collectively come before you we ask that you would give us all sensitive hearts to the leading of the Holy Spirit we thank you so much in that mighty name of Jesus with every head bowed and every eye closed I know my spiritual dad says don't close your eyes when you talk to Jesus I know I said that So don't don't close your eyes. I'll be obedient. One ordinary act of obedience, listening to your spiritual dad. Don't close your eyes. Forget what I said that. Look at me. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if you're here today and you don't know where you stand with him, if you're watching online and you don't know Jesus, you're at one of our campuses, you don't know Jesus. Somebody invited you to come to church or you came and you don't feel like your relationship with God is right. You don't know if you were to die this moment or the second where you'd spend eternity. The real truth of the matter is all of this, everything that is done in the name of Christ is done for one reason and one reason only. And it's so that people come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God loves you. God wants you to spend eternity with him, but without bowing your knee, confessing your sins and inviting Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you don't receive that promise. And so today, if you don't know where you stand with God and you want to give your life to Jesus, slip your hand up so I can pray with you. Hold it up high. God bless you, young man. That's awesome. Is there anybody else? Pastor, today I want to give my life to Jesus. I don't know if I'm right with him, but today I surrender to him. God bless you over there. That's awesome. Is there anybody else? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You can put your hands down. Let's pray for the benefit of those few that just raised their hands. Heaven is rejoicing right now. What a joy it is. Sometimes we, we think, well, that, that was only two people that gave their life to Jesus. Do you realize there are some churches that go all year and never see two people give their life to Jesus? Praise the Lord. We see every single weekend across all of our campuses, dozen, 15, sometimes 20 people give their life to Christ when you add online and everything. More than that. We thank God for touching people's lives. If you just raised your hand, I want you to pray this prayer out loud with everybody else. Say it with me. Heavenly Father, today I come to you. I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me and I give you my life. I ask Jesus to be my personal Lord and Savior and I thank you for forgiving me and receiving me as your child. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, an usher's gonna find you. They're gonna give you a little book that describes what it means to give your life to Jesus. Before you leave, take 30 seconds, fill out the card, give it back to the usher. We wanna be able to uh, reach out to you, help you grow in your relationship with the Lord. If you're new or you gave your life to Jesus and you wanna come say hello, at the VIP Center will be there for you. God bless all of you. We'll see you again next week.